Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Derek Carpenter. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today we are going to be in the book of John. So we are in our second week of our four-week series in John. So grab the Bible that's under your seat or open up your phone app, whatever it is. Uh, so we have, I talk about her a lot, Lydia. She's our oldest child. She's just perfect for sermon illustrations. Well, I grew up riding motorcycles. I was in Colorado, loved to ride in national forests. So when I had kids, first thing I think, they need motorcycles. So she, you know, she learned to ride a bike first, barely. Um, and then as soon as possible, I got her a little Honda 50, one of those cool little motorcycles. And in the backyard, not a big enough backyard, but that didn't matter. Got her on that thing, and I remember, you know, practicing the brake and all that. And the very first time she went, she took off and hit the block wall. I, yeah, and she got out of sight a little bit and disappeared. We want, and you know, we see the motorcycle in the back half of it and the spiel, wheel turning, and, and she comes walking out like, <laughs> like, okay, we're good. So get it back up, straighten the handlebars. They were bent forever after that. And anyway, we kept teaching her how to ride, and she crashed a lot. Uh, I mean, a lot. And then one day. I'd never seen this before. I saw somebody else with a young child and a motorcycle with training wheels. And honestly, yeah, I had, I had a mix of emotions. I'm like, that is the worst thing in the world. If you can't ride a motorcycle, don't put... Actually, that's a great idea. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that for Lydia? Get some training wheels on there. But at some point, if you're riding a motorcycle, it's time to take the training wheels off. I mean, picture somebody 20 years old, maybe riding down the road here with training wheels on their motorcycle. Uh, there's a point where those training wheels have to come off. There's not much of an adventure in riding if you're, you've got training wheels on. In a similar way, I think spiritual life can be like that. I think there's a lot of Christians in the church that still have their spiritual training wheels on. And maybe they've been Christians for 20, 30 years, but they're still cruising down the road with their spiritual training wheels on. They haven't taken off those training wheels to experience what God has for us. You know, it kind of aligns a little bit with how we are as a society. We're very safe conscious, you know. Our kids have to wear helmets all the time. Uh, wrap them with bubble wrap if they're going to go on the trampoline. Put the net around the train. I mean, all these things, and I'm not against safety mostly. Uh, but, but we're such a safe society. Make it comfortable, make it safe. You know, don't take risks. That has made its way into the church where we as Christians want to be comfortable, want to be safe, and we don't take risks. And I think in large part that is why the, the North American continent is really the only place that the church is shrinking in the rest of the world. The rest of the world, the church is growing. But in our country, it's actually shrinking. And I think part of that is we're so comfortable, we then come into the church and we want to just be comfortable rather than taking spiritual risks. So that's my question to begin today as we go to John chapter 3 is how's your spiritual life? Do you have spiritual training wheels on? Are you enjoying all that God has for us? We talk about this a lot here at Common Ground, that Jesus said, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, Jesus has a life plan for us. It's great, full of joy, full of peace, full of adventure, full of excitement. You know, not maybe the typical church life you thought of growing up of, of boring and legalistic, but it's actually an exciting life. But many in the church don't actually get to experience that life. So turn to, to John 3, because we're going to get some really good insight on faith. And that's really what this comes down to. It comes down to faith. You know, how is your faith? How is your trust in Jesus Christ? That's why this last song, I love that song. We believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe all these things about 
Jesus? And does that belief then enter into and change our lives? Now, in John chapter 3, we're not going to read it. We're going to skip over this. But John or uh, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. So he was very knowledgeable about the Old Testament scriptures. And by the way, later, Nicodemus would be a follower of Jesus. He would be one of those at his crucifixion that would help take care of his body. But here, this is before that. And Nicodemus and Jesus have a conversation. And in that conversation, Jesus says, you must be born again. And he, being this very intelligent religious person, goes, I don't get that. How can I enter my mother again and be born again? He said, no, no, you need to be born spiritually. You need to not just do religion. You need to have a heart change. And the New Testament talks often about what happens at true salvation. You need a heart change. And so he, he tells Nicodemus, that you need to be born again and that being born again comes with this new life. And here is what this book is about. So we saw last week as we started in, in the book of John that John wrote his whole thesis statement. He said, I wrote that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life. That's his whole reason for writing. And that idea of life, so it's belief and life, that life isn't just eternal life. We'll see that some today. But that life is the full life he has for us now. It's not just existence. It's amazing, awesome life that he has for us now. And he started the book, John 1, last week, really honing in on who Jesus is. Who Jesus is as the eternal creator, as God in flesh, God among us. And he came to reveal the Father. We saw that in John chapter 1. So if you ever wonder what God is like, look at Jesus because Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus told Philip, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So now he's going to continue speaking to Nicodemus, and he's going to talk about faith. He's going to talk about being born again, what this life then looks like. Now, we're going to see probably the most famous scripture verse ever. What would you guess it is? John, for God, yep, John 3.16. Here's the weird thing about John 3.16. I don't think anybody here has ever had to memorize it. I think you become saved and it's just like, boop, you just know it. Um, everybody knows it. So, but because of that, I think sometimes we can get a little bit um, lackadaisical with it. And so we're going to look at John 3.16 and the verses around it. And I hope that with, with you, as with me, this really comes alive and is exciting. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for chapter one last week where we saw that you are God in flesh, uh, that you are the creator, that you are eternal. You were never created because you are the creator. You've existed forever. Um, but at a moment in time, you took on flesh in order to reveal the Father to us and in order to, to ultimately do what you came to do, to seek and save the lost by, by sacrificing yourself on the cross for us. Uh, Holy Spirit, be here with us this morning. We need you. We need you to illuminate the scriptures to our hearts and minds. We need you to comfort us. We need you to encourage us. Uh, we need you every minute of every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's, let's look here and learn how this new life is actually made real in, in the life of a believer. Look at verse John 3, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended... From heaven, the Son of Man. Now, real quick, he's just reiterating what we saw in John chapter 1 that Jesus is God in flesh. No one has seen God, but God Himself, who was at the right hand, that is Jesus, has descended. 
His reason for stating this, and he's going to go on to explain some things, is to say, by the way, I'm the authority. You know, Nicodemus, you're, you're very knowledgeable. You know the Old Testament. Moses was great. He spoke from God. But here's something I'm going to tell you. My authority is actually greater because I've come down from heaven. I am God in flesh. So what I'm going to say, you should probably pay attention because what I'm going to say is true. It's a statement of his authority. And then he tells us this. I'm going to read 14 through 18, and you might be confused for a minute, and we'll go back. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So he starts out there giving us an example in verse 14. But before we get into all that, look at, look at what's repeated in these verses. You can learn a lot about the intention of the writer by seeing what they repeat. He repeats believe, believes, 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 there it is, believe, believed, over and over. Eternal life is also repeated. Eternal life will not perish, have eternal life, not condemned. So he says it two opposite ways through there that you can have eternal life, and also with that, you're not condemned, all based on belief. And yeah, we are talking about eternal life, life forever. But we've we've done something in the American church, uh, something fairly negative in where we have associated salvation with belief and then stopped there. Now, we are saved by belief, and by the way, we're saved by nothing more than belief. It's not belief and It's not faith and good works or anything else. It is belief alone. But we've we've made belief mean just an intellectual agreement with a set of statements. So you can see somebody on the street and say, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Sure. Do you believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead? Sure. Good, you're saved. Walk away. Maybe they are because that is really all it takes is that genuine belief. But biblical belief has a little bit more of a a tint to that. It's not just an intellectual agreement to a set of statements. It's believing it as in giving yourself to that belief and trusting yourself to that belief. We've created an idea of security, and I hear this all the time as a pastor. You know, our son prayed the prayer when he was six years old. He believed, but he's never shown any fruit, and he doesn't walk with him now, but we're confident he's going to heaven because he did that. Unfortunately, we can't have that confidence. Because faith leads to something. It leads to this life. Now, can we struggle in life with doubt, with sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. We can struggle. But salvation, this eternal life, is a point-in-time belief. And then it starts this process of becoming like Jesus. The Bible calls it sanctification. Going through this life. And the Bible here in in John, when he talks about life, and I've shared this often because I love this word so much, it's not biological life. The word is actually zoe, which means a full life. It means eternal life, but it means a full life right now. And as he talks about believe, this is present tense. This isn't past tense. He who believed, it is he who is believing. 
So as we walk through this life in faith, it means we are believing. It's a verb, not a noun. We constantly believe. Before we get more into that, I, I have that question. As life happens, do you believe Jesus? When you're tempted by whatever that temptation is, do you believe that God's way is better? Do you believe that what Scripture says is actually better than what your flesh is wanting at that moment? That's, that's part of this belief. For me, if there's ever sin in my life, and, and there's some every now and then, because I'm still human, but, but it all comes down to belief, in all honesty. It comes down to, if I'm going to choose to do this sin that I know, God, you don't want, it's a belief issue right there. Now, it's not a salvation issue, that's, but it is a belief. Am I going to trust you, God, that it's better for me to go your way than to do whatever it is I want to do that I know you don't want me to do? It's a belief issue. It's a trust issue. Now, what does he talk about here? He gives us a really good example. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. When I was a kid, I went on a mission trip when I was 16, and I had to memorize this passage. I didn't even know what it meant. <laughs> As Moses, it was King James Version. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, you don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. Turn to Numbers. It's a weird place to go. Numbers chapter 21, here's, here's a situation, and this really will enlighten. If you've memorized John 3.16, you need to know this passage in the Old Testament because this is in the same context of what Jesus is teaching. In Numbers 21, the situation is that the Israelites, millions of them, had left Egypt. They had left Egypt, heading to the Promised Land, and if you read through Exodus, it's kind of an interesting thing as you look through God's people and God is doing something with the Israelites. He chose them to be his representative to the earth. Similar to what he's done with the church now. We are his representatives to the earth. That's what the nation of Israel was for. The Jews were for. And so he pulls them out of Egypt, taking them to the promised land. But if you remember some of the stories, they built a calf. It was one of the first things they did. And they started worshiping it, saying, this is the God that took us out of Egypt while Moses was up on the mountain. So some things, over and over, they're doing these crazy things, and over and over, you see crazy things happening. Here, here's a little bit of the context. God was trying to mold his people and to be his faithful followers. And part of the way he was doing that was overcoming their 400 years in Egypt where they had false worship with false gods. He was having to overcome that. Part of the way he was doing it was getting rid of some of those that were going to drag the whole clan down all the way. He was getting rid of some of those. And he was doing things to test their faith, to judge them at times they needed it, but to bring them in to be who he would be. So this is one of those situations. Numbers 21, starting in verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea, to the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up? out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no food and no water, and we load this worthless food. Now, real quick, before we go on, there was food and water. God was miraculously providing this food called manna that would fall from the sky every day. In the morning, they would wake up, and they would go out, and they would collect it, and they would eat it. They complained that they didn't have meat, so God sent birds to fly in, each, so they even had meat. They complained about water, and so Moses spoke to a rock, and, and out came water. Water ran. 
He did it two different ways. Uh, that's its own story. But, but water miraculously came out of a rock. So they had food. They had water. They just didn't like it. This is a big thing for us, the the context for us to understand. God's grace provided everything they needed and and it wasn't enough for them. God, you've given us all this stuff. We want more. Uh, We don't like what you're giving. Maybe parents, you ever had that where you make your kid a great meal and they walk, you spend hours on it and they walk in. I don't like that. Smack. (laughs) God is kind of the same way. God's like, I prepared this great meal of, 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 clean water and birds and bread and you don't like it, go to your room. But he doesn't do that. He does something different. Um, Maybe parents, you would like to do this. Verse six, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Again, it's fair to acknowledge this sounds kind of crazy. But this is what God did. He, he had important things to do with his people. So he sent these poisonous snakes, whatever they were, maybe, you know, vipers. Uh, I, I don't know what they were in, in North Africa where they were. But these snakes, a lot of them, an unnatural amount of snakes came in and were aggressive and just biting people because they were grumbling against God. God provided. They said, it's not good enough. Take us back to slavery. We want that again. He said, fine, here you go. And he gave them these snakes. And whoever those snakes bit, they would die. So, I, I mean, this is a pretty serious situation going on. So the people, what do they do? They repent. This is part of this process. The people, okay, we grumbled. Now there's these snakes. We get it. And they repented and they turned to Moses. They said, hey, pray to God for us. And so God tells him to do something weird. Take, take a, a bronze serpent, make it, put it on a pole and walk around. Anybody ever seen a, maybe a snake around a pole before? Do we have that picture anywhere? Medicine. Medicine. Our our own paramedics now use that symbol, that picture for for their healing. Now there's millions of these Israelites camping. So there's tents all over. I I mean, fires going just now picture Moses walking. This would have taken a long time. He's walking around carrying this pole with a bronze serpent. And there's people dying all over from snake bites. All they had to do was look at it and they'd be healed. That sounds weird. But why? What was God trying to teach them? Well, initially contentment. Be content with what I give you. But then here there's faith. So we don't have to, you know, drink medicine. We don't, all we have to do is look at that. It doesn't even touch. We just look at it and we're healed. That is faith in what God says is true. God says, if you look at it, you'll be healed. Moses, walk around. Those who looked at it were healed. And I can't help but think there must have been some of those who were stubborn and said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm not looking at it. And they died. And luckily, those people were no longer part of the group. But here, it's all about faith that they would look at this serpent and be healed. That's the picture. And by the way, this was very prophetic. I mean, God, he's had his plan from the beginning. He did that in order to teach the Israelites something and also to point toward what he was going to do later as the Messiah. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, 
Uh, back to 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So Jesus would be lifted up on a cross for many to see. And the, very similar to that bronze serpent. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's the picture. These people who were bit by the snakes were powerless. They needed to repent and believe. It's the same. Jesus' message as he walked around was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the message throughout is believe in Jesus. It was the same then as now repent, turn from your sin and believe in Jesus. Meaning trust him, trust God. These people were powerless, but God's grace was enough. You see that theme? It's all about God's grace. You know, the, the thing I think we have often in the church, the reason maybe we struggle with our faith comes down to pride. It comes down to us and what we want to do. Instead of just leaning on God's grace for him to provide all that we need, that's what he's trying to teach him. You can't do it. Nicodemus, you're a great religious person following all these rules. You can't do it. You need to fall on God's grace. Israelites, God's grace providing all that you need. It's not good enough. Well, here's some judgment. Here's some snakes. Oh, we're going to die. Look at that. All God's grace. They brought nothing to the table similar to us. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's get to know Jesus a little bit. Again, one of the reasons Jesus came was to reveal the Father. We get to know Jesus, we get to know God. For God so loved the world. You've heard that so often. Imagine we're looking at that for the first time. For God so loved the world. What does that mean, the world? It means everyone. Not everyone's going to be saved, but God loves everyone. But that word world actually has more than just everybody. The word world, when used in the New Testament, and especially in John, always refers to the world system that is organized against God. Fallen humanity and fallen world. When Adam and Eve sinned, the, the curse entered, that was called the fall. Immediately they died spiritually. And they passed that sin onto us. So, you know, we could take a show of hands who here has never sinned. And if you're honest, you would not raise your hand. We've all sinned. The wages of sin is death. So we're all in this situation where sin has created this fall, this condemnation. We're all stuck in it. And there's this bent against God. You know, maybe if you came to Christ when you were really young, you didn't experience it as much. I came to Christ when I was young, but I, I still have experienced that. I've got this bent toward my flesh. I, there's just part of me at times just wants to be selfish, <laughs> wants to be my way rather than going God's way. It's that part and broaden that out. It, it's really organized systems all against God. I mean, just look at our world right now. Look at our society. You know, go say Allah, go say uh, uh, Muhammad, go say Jesus. Wh which name receives the most condemnation in our country right now? It's, it's Jesus. How crazy is that? But yet that's the situation. So God so loved the world, meaning the organized system against him. God loved the world while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to be good. He didn't wait for us to choose him. While we were against him, while we were his enemies, he loved us so much he died for us. Holy mackerel. I mean, think about that. He loved us so much before we chose him, before we were good because we were never good. That's what it means for God so loved the world. He loved these people in rebellion against him. And he loved them so much he gave his only son. 
That love is agape love. That is one-way love. That is not two-way love. That is not him loving because he gets something. That is him choosing to love. Does this sound like grace? It's God's grace. He gives it all. He gave himself when he didn't deserve it. He died on the cross. His love completely one way. The way to be born again and receive life is to look on Jesus with belief. Sorry, I'm skipping over my notes. I'm so excited. <laughs> but that's the way to be born again and receive life is to look on Jesus with belief. But then here's this in your notes that I just statement I just made that God acted in love toward us while we were still his enemies. So let's move on. What's the other word repeated? Again, belief. Belief. When we believe, we receive life now. We don't receive life later. We do get life later, eternal life forever. And we will not perish. I mean, that's talking about hell. There is a hell where those who do not choose to follow Jesus will be destined to spend eternity apart from God. But we, through belief, receive eternal life. And it is later but it's also right now, it's not just, you know, fire insurance or your ticket that when you get there, you get to pull out your ticket. Hey, I believed at one point in time. It's right now. So the, the picture that came to me this morning as I was preparing was thinking, imagine Christmas. Remember when you were a kid, Christmas, and maybe the best Christmas ever. And you get all these gifts. You open them up and they're under the tree. And then mom and dad come in and say, OK, but time out. You can't play with these for about seven months. Like, you get all these gifts, but, but you can't play with them. You just have to look at them. And you have to hope that someday it's going to be so much fun to play with. I mean, that would be salvation, eternal life, if it was you're saved, but all of it comes later. No, we're saved, and we get, we get all of Jesus now. That's what's so cool about this life, that, yeah, when we go skidding into eternity, I don't think it's going to be as different as we think it is. I mean, our faith is going to be realized, our hope will turn from, from faith without seeing to faith in seeing. But here, we lay our lives out for Christ. As Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So here, we live for Christ. Whatever we do, hopefully we're good stewards with our money, with our time, with our relationships. We're living to serve Him. What does it say in Matthew? Seek first His kingdom, and all these other things will be added to you. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, all these things. Seek Him first, and He'll provide these things. Well, when we get into eternity, what's going to be different? We're going to be living for Him. We're going to be trusting Him. Everything we do is going to be for His glory. We're going to be stewarding whatever He gives us there for His glory. Only there we'll have pretty cool bodies uh, that won't you know, get sick and won't die. Uh, then we won't have this sin thing pulling us apart. But yet we get these benefits now. That's what I want us to understand. So why? I mean, this is what, as I read this and I get so excited and I look at the church, somebody was telling me a story once when they were a kid and they looked at this, this old woman in the church and she wore black every Sunday and she always, you know, she was dudded up, but she was always grumpy and, and nasty and, and opinionated. And, and this kid looked at her and went, wow, she must be so spiritual. But then as they got older, they looked back and went, there was something wrong with that lady. Because life with Christ should be filled with joy. You know, this is the picture that we get of these Israelites in the desert grumbling. When you come into church and people are just grumbling, what is that evidence of? A lack of faith. A grumbling spirit is proof of a lack of faith. 
A grumbling spirit, discontent is, is basically us saying, God, what you've given me is not enough. You gave me your son. I have eternal life. You've given me the grace. I mean, in this country, golly, the food we have, the clean water, you've given me all this, but it's not enough. So I'm going to grumble. I also want this. I also want that. Christians, we should be marked by our thankfulness. That's who we are. We're thankful people. We're grateful people. Belief in Jesus leads to eternal life and these many benefits right now. Right now. Now look on, if you would, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. All right, this verse has been used often nowadays to say, and I heard it just this week, that Jesus came not to judge, but to save. So we as Christians, we should not be judgmental, which there's, there's difference between judging and judgmental, and, and we can look in 1 Corinthians and study some of that, uh, but that's not what he means. He doesn't mean Jesus didn't come to judge. In fact, next time when Jesus comes, he will be coming as the judge. But it says Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save. Why? Because everybody's already condemned. We're already condemned. We're born condemned. And then as soon as you sin on your own by your will, you've really chosen to be condemned. We have chosen hell. We have chosen rebellion. Everybody's already condemned. So Jesus didn't have to come and say you're condemned because we already were. So Jesus came to save. This is where, you know, God's grace really flows out. Everybody is destined because we've chosen rebellion. And it's only God's grace by which some of us would believe and be saved and pulled out of that. He came that we would not be condemned. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. See that? It's already the case. So, so Jesus doesn't come and make something happen that wasn't already happening. We already chose rebellion. He came to save. And it's all, again, it's all about belief. It's all about belief. Do we trust him? Do we trust? And here, here's, here's biblical faith. Do you believe, do you trust that God is good, that God loves you, and that he's all-powerful? I mean, think about those things. If that's true, if God is good, then he wants what's best for you. If he loves you, then he really wants what's best for you. If he's all-powerful, he can make what's best for you happen. Therefore, in what situation do we ever have to not be content, to not be thankful, and to not be trusting? It's about faith, right? Faith is a muscle. What does it take to grow a muscle? Exercise. Use it. Use it. So at those times in your life when, when things are good, you know, you got your food, you got good, things are just good. I mean, I love those times. And during those times, we're thankful. God, look at all that you, we're thankful. And then when trials happen, guess what? We can be thankful. Why? Because God wants to grow our faith. And what better thing can we have than our faith to be grown? So consider it all joy, Scripture says, when you encounter various trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces endurance. So if God allows you to have a trial, I mean, really, thanks. Thank you, God, for trusting me to go through this, that I will learn to trust you more, that next time I'll trust you faster. And then there's the point where, guess what? The, the, the person down the aisle next to you, or the per, your neighbor, they're going through something that you went through. And you're like, I've been through that. And God showed up for me and he can show up for you too. And then the church is the church. You see this picture? So, so 
Like these Israelites that grumbled, we never have reason to grumble. We can always be thankful because we can always trust because God will provide. Biblical faith, bi- biblical faith is the belief that God is good, all-powerful, and loves us. We can then walk through life with confidence in Him. So you have something on your seat. Maybe you've connected the dots. <laughs> Little, little parachute men. I mean, how cool are these things? These, these are one of my favorite things of all time. When I was a kid, this is totally off topic. We used to go to a, an amusement park, and we would get these before we went, and on the top of the roller coaster, we would throw them off. And then as we're going, we try and watch them. Fo- anyway, parachute men. What is a parachute? What, uh, uh, what are they called? The guy who jumps out? Parajumper? There you go. Paratrooper, there you go. What does a paratrooper trust when they jump out of the airplane? They trust the parachute. If they don't trust the parachute, what are they going to do? They're going to stay inside the plane. You know, uh, I had the opportunity to jump out of a helicopter in Russia when I was 21, tied to somebody who spoke a totally different language. And so, you know, all the instructions on what to do were in a different language. But we did it anyway. Why? Because I trusted him and I trusted the parachute. So I was willing to jump out of this helicopter. In the same way, that's faith. Do we talk about it? Because we can talk about living in faith. We can talk about the adventure of the Christian life, or we can jump. That's what it takes to live this life of faith. So if you have a grumbling spirit, if you feel like you're not very thankful, you're stressed, you're worried, all these things, then what is it you're not believing? Do you need to jump? One of the things we like to talk about is being all in. We have a couple t-shirts left back there, all in, because that's our life with Christ, all in. We jump. It's not wading into the shallow end of the pool. It's jumping into the deep end and hopefully learning to swim or trusting dad to hold you in the deep end. And that's the other picture that comes to mind as a kid. You know, dad's holding him in the pool. And he says, let's go to the deep end. Dad, I trust you completely. But while still holding onto the side, well, you're gonna have to let go of the side. No, but I trust you. (laughs) Our Christian life, the life he has for us is all about faith. He says, believe. He provides everything we need. He provides it in Jesus. We just have to jump and trust him to catch us. So who who are you today? Have you placed your faith in Jesus as Lord? All it takes is belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's it. Belief gives life, but then it leads to life, eternal life, life now. And if you're not experiencing that right now, why not? What is it that you need to believe? What is it that you need to give to him and trust him with it? As we close in worship, we don't have communion today, but let me encourage you to do this. While we sing these last two songs, if you need to place your faith in Jesus as Lord right now, we're going to have people available in the back to pray. Right, Preston? Okay. (laughs) Who is it today? Me and Kate. Preston and Kate. Okay, Kate's right here. Preston and Kate are going to be in the back. If you need to, for the first time, jump into Jesus' arms, talk to them. If you have something else that's just hanging you up, you can pray with them. They'll help you. Or come up here. Write it on one of these slips of paper and put it in our prayer wall. We have this chicken wire for that purpose, to worship in response. Let me encourage you. Write something down. Even if, if life is good for you and you're just thankful, Give that to him. Come write that down on a piece of paper. I'm thankful for, boom, whatever it is, put it up there. 
Maybe there's something you need to give him. Write that down and put it up there. But this is our time to worship in response to his word because the Holy Spirit wants to connect with you personally. He wants to see you become more like Christ. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for providing everything we need. Thank you that belief really is just that. It's belief. And that you are trustworthy. That you don't require us to believe and then do all these things. But you ask us to believe and then just jump into your arms. Jesus, we love you. And I pray this, this morning, in this room, if there's anybody here that needs to give their life to you for the first time, they would take that bold step today. They would go pray with Preston or Kate. God, I know, because I'm human too, I know in this room we have things weighing on us that you want to take. We have things that you want to just take from us because you're strong enough. You can handle it all. I pray that we would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.